Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. We are so excited and honored to have Morgan Harper Nichols on the show. I talk to more girls that are just so inspired by her poetry and her writing, and we want to tell you a little bit more about her. So Morgan Harper Nichols is an artist and poet whose work is inspired by real-life interactions and stories. Morgan spent the first couple of years of her professional life as a college admission counselor, and then as a full-time touring singer, songwriter, and musician. It was on the road that she cultivated her curiosity and passion for writing, art, and design, and slowly began to share her work online. In 2017, Morgan started a project where she invites people to submit their stories to her website. From there, she creates art as a response to their stories and sends it to them before sharing the work publicly. All stories and names are kept private. The fruit of this project is shared daily around social media, in publications, and various creative collaborations and installations. As an artist, Morgan has collaborated with a wide range of brands, including Coach, Adobe, Vogue Singapore, Aerie, and more. As a designer and author, her work has been available in many stores, including Anthropology, Barnes & Noble, and Target, some of our favorites. Her book of poetry and art, All Along You Are Blooming, is available where books are sold. She is on the board of directors at To Write Love on Her Arms. Morgan is originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and she and her husband, Patrick, currently reside with their son, Jacob, in Phoenix, Arizona, where you can also find her studio and shop, Garden 24. And Morgan has a new book coming out in April called How Far You Have Grown, and we might even just get to have a little excerpt of it on the podcast today. We are so excited, Morgan, to have you on this podcast. We can't even tell you. And the fact that you're on here has elevated our cool factor exponentially with people. (laughs) Through the roof. Through the roof. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know what to say. I'm like... (laughs) I discovered you more recently in your career. Your Instagram has been one of my favorite things through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And when I was thinking about you, the phrase that came to my mind was harbinger of hope. Mm. that that feels like what your writing has been to our world in this season that has felt so dark and isolating and scary. And you have spoken these words over our world of grace and peace and truth and patience and hope in a way that has sure given and ministered to me and countless people. And so it really is an honor for us to get to sit with you today and hear more about your journey. We're just delighted for you to be here. That means so much to hear. I enjoy being able to share and, you know, so much of writing and creating and making art. It is a daily practice for me. It is a a spiritual practice for me. So it's it's special to hear that like, oh, other people connect with that too. (laughs) Yeah, so that, that means a lot to hear. Thank you. They really do. And I counsel adolescent 
girls a lot and you are one of the voices that they trust and go to the most. So mm-hmm. very grateful for you. And if you don't get to hear that impact, I hear it a lot in my office. So really oh grateful for you. That means so much to hear. So we'd love to start kind of with your story. So how did you start writing? How did you get to this place of doing what you're doing? Just the evolution of it. Yes. So I grew up in a very creative family. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia area, specifically Stone Mountain area, a little outside of Atlanta. And my parents were in ministry and in different capacities, they're both very creative and writers, musicians. And I grew up around a lot of art and also simultaneously just a lot of community. And my my parents were very just like open the door, like, come in, come get some dinner. Like, let's talk. Like, they're just very on the ground, like in the community. And I always sort of struggled with it because it was like, even though I wouldn't have used this language as a child, but like, I felt like intellectually, I was like, okay, I like what my family does. I I like this, but it just seems like a lot of energy. And I don't Mm. know if I really have that because I'm just more introverted. (laughs) And Mm. especially my mom and I have one sibling, my sister are both very high energy. And I struggled because I felt like a lot of people that I saw, and this isn't true everywhere. It's just going by what I saw. And a lot of what I saw with like creative people or people who were doing any type of service or ministry or anything, it seemed like they had a personality that was different than mine. Mm -hmm. And I struggled because I also, at a young age, I had a speech impediment. There are still traces of that today. Like I'm still very conscious of speaking because of that. So there was just a lot of, for me, it just felt like hurdles and obstacles of like, oh, I feel in my heart that I want to connect with people, but I'm not able to quite get there. Like I feel like I should. Or like has been modeled for you, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And it's yeah. so interesting how that happens because no one said that to me directly. Like that was just sort of what I picked up. Like no one said like, oh, Morgan, you can't do this because you have a speech impediment. I also have dyslexia. Mm. I, you can't write because you don't. Have... No one said that. Wow. And I'm grateful that no one said that because some people actually do end up growing up with someone saying that to them. But I still receive that message somehow of just like, maybe I can't be an artist or maybe I can't serve people or connect with people. So I feel like a lot of my childhood teenage years was wrestling with that of just like feeling so drawn to the arts and music and painting, like all of the things, photography, I mean, you name it. I was just, (laughs) I'm still that way. I was into it all, but simultaneously just feeling like I can't do that. Like, I'll never forget. I've never told the story before. I don't know why it's coming to my mind. I'll never forget when I was 16. So I'm a singer songwriter. I, I play guitar and everything. And I was like writing my own songs and sharing. And I feel like these days there's a lot more teenager singer songwriters out there. <laughs> but even back then, I'm, I'm 30 now. So this is 2006. Back even in 2006, it wasn't as common as it is like today on TikTok, for instance. But I saw... It was the first time I ever saw Taylor Swift perform. And she was performing Tim McGraw at, I think, Country Music Awards or something. And my first reaction, I I was seeing another girl my age with a guitar. I immediately said, oh, that's what people want. I can't Mm. beat that. I'm like, that's what's successful. And I'm not that. And there were so many layers to it with just, (laughs) you know, race. But even beyond that, it was just like, 
Yeah. That's what I told myself. So I, I struggled with that for a very long time. Like I would just kind of put little, I would start a little blog and then I would just kind of like retreat back like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I would, I would be like, I'm going to do Morgan's photography. And I would do like two photo shoots. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. And it just, it was a lot of that. And it wasn't until I was around the time that I think Instagram came out in 2010 that, and it's so weird how social media has been a huge positive for me in this way that I felt like, okay, I can do this. Ooh, <laughs> I was like, yes. I don't know how to be on stage or book photo shoots to do weddings. Cause I, when I tried to do photography, like all my photographer friends, like they were doing weddings and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I have the energy <laughs> to do that. I just don't <laughs> think that's for me. But there was something about like, even the early days of Facebook and Twitter, like, I was intrigued by that. I was just like, this seems like a place where you can be creative mm. in a way that I feel like I actually have the capacity to do. Mm. And again, I don't think I would have used that language back then, but I think that's just sort of how I felt more comfortable for the first time. And that was around the age that I was 20. Wow. So I started to blog a little bit and I got married at 20 also. So I would share a little bit of our story. Like I was like, I feel like I can do this. Mm. So from age 20 to where I am today, I honestly feel like it's just been different variations of kind of going to the internet in a lot of ways. Like, this is a place where I do feel like I can share, where I do feel like I can mm. connect with people in a meaningful way. Because that's always been yes. important to me. And, and I think that that's something that maybe people don't always realize about like introverts or people who are just more to themselves. It's like, we do want to connect. Like, we do want connection with people. We're just not always, you know out there in public in the same way. So, so yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And it started with the writing. And then halfway through my 20s, I literally saw an Apple commercial that had an Apple pencil on it. And I was like, that's fun. I'm wow. going to save up and buy an iPad. And I bought an iPad. And at that time, like there wasn't a ton out there about, there was a little bit about people doing lettering and stuff like that, but it wasn't a lot. I was just intrigued. I think it was going back to that whole safety thing again. I was like, okay, this is art that I can do because if I don't like it, I can just delete it. I can do this. Yes. <laughs> and yes. I haven't like bought a big canvas and it's, you know, <laughs> and I have to throw it away. <laughs> so I tend to like to find ways to put up guardrails for my, mm. <laughs> for my creativity. So I, I do think that the iPad, that's how it came to be. Mm. And the final part of it is in 2017, after kind of just slowly sharing some art and poetry, I just got the idea to write for people one person at a time. Mm. And that idea just came from getting DMs from, honestly, a lot of them were teenagers who were just like, hey, I don't really tell people this part of my story. I don't really talk about this, but I just want to let you know that your poem, it really spoke to me and here's what I'm going through. And that to me was like the biggest wake up call because a lot of the messages I was receiving from these teenagers were these kids have been through things I had never been through, like way worse than what I had right. been through. And that was just such an humbling experience of like the fact that something that I wrote could connect with someone who's been through that, who's going through that as a teenager. And then you add the layers of social media and all the pressure. I'm like, 
the fact that I could say something that could connect with them, I think this is bigger than me. I think I've been mm. thinking about this the wrong way. I've been making it about like what I'm capable of and it's actually way bigger. So I thought that I would do that for a few weeks, like the whole writing for one person at a time. Wow. But here we are into the fourth year of that. And it's still a part of my daily life. And I, I'm very grateful to say that I, I love what I do. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Mm. And your new book is called? It is called How Far You Have Come. Yes, which I kept thinking about it as you were talking. It feels <sighs> so fitting. Okay, mm. and I'm going to kind of take us on a left turn. So yes. as you're talking, I'm thinking about parents who are listening, thinking, I feel like Morgan is my daughter. Like I have a daughter who is so similar or a son mm. who's so similar. And he's introverted and I see so much in him and he doesn't yet, and he's not sure what to do. I mean, if you had to say, if there was a message that the grownups could have cheered you on with or spoken mm -hmm. over you in those years, what do you think? Or maybe, you know, it's what your parents did communicate mm -hmm. to you, but what would have been helpful to have maybe helped you get there in confidence? Because it sounds like 20, you kind of blossomed and landed in this place where you're ready or moving into ready. Yeah, I think the first word that came up for me as you were talking was the word nurture. Mm. And I felt like I am very blessed to have parents who nurtured what I did enjoy and what I was interested in. So a lot of that for me, it was creativity. Like I had like a old piano in my room and like cool. my dad tried to tune it for me. And <laughs> my parents, I mean, they did not have a lot of money, but we would go to the dollar store. They would let me pick out whatever notebook I wanted, which, you know, as a kid, mm -hmm. that just seems like such a big deal. It's like everything in the store is a dollar. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> But as a kid, it's like that sort of agency to feel like I had a choice. Mm. And it's something that wasn't even like life or death. It was just like, it's just a small thing. And those are, for me, some of my happiest childhood memories are the ones where my parents, where I felt the most free. And unfortunately, I didn't feel that way with a lot of other grownups, just being mm. honest. Because I was a little bit more quiet, I'd have distinct memories I would kind of like, if I was in like a big social setting, I would just kind of zone out sometimes and like kind of daydream. And I have distinct memories and it, it kind of makes me a little emotional with thinking about it of some girls, but snap out of that, snap out of that. Yes. You know, now when I see a little kid doing that, I'm just like, yeah, let them do that. And mm. I have one child, but I have other kids in my life. And when I see them and if they're doing something that's quote unquote quirky or whatever, I'm like, just let them. Let them do it. Like, I'm not yeah. going to be the grown-up that makes them feel like that's wrong because it's different. I think that if I had to give any advice, I mean, it's just give kids, like, maybe what you didn't have in that sense. Like, mm. it might be hard to think about those grown-ups who maybe did not make you feel like you were free to be yourself. But what we do have from that is, like, now I know what kind of grown-up I don't want to be right. in a kid's life. and. For me, that's been very valuable because I feel like I've been able to, I was thinking about little kids, but now I'm thinking older. I really struggled with <laughs> that as a teenager, just because, you know, people have so many assumptions about teens and I was a preacher's kid and mm. grownups would say like, oh, you're a preacher's kid, you're going to be wild, huh? 
a lot of times, yeah, maybe they're just joking. But I remember like distinct moments where I like had my little flip phone. <laughs> like I think I got a flip phone when I was like 13. And I remember one time I flipped open my flip phone in church. One of the grownups like went to my parents like, yeah, so your daughter's not that good, huh? I saw her on her phone in church. And it was just wow. like, okay. Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot. You know, when I look think back on it, I'm like, that wasn't that big of a moment. But it's like, when you're younger, your emotions are just really clear <laughs> at yeah. that age. Mm-hmm. And you're so insecure a lot of times. And the smallest thing that someone could say, even if they're joking or if they were just mildly concerned, it can have a lasting impact. So yeah, I think a lot of it just has to come to like really, really thinking about what we say, thinking yes. about what we post on social media. That's something I think about a lot too. And I'm not like trying to put myself on a pedestal or anything, but any time that I have, so I, you know, I fall in the millennial category. <laughs> and any time I have spoken about Gen Z, the younger generation, I try to always speak of them positively. Mm. Because I'm like, I've been on the like, oh, you millennials, you're this, you're that. And I'm just like, I get it. I know a lot of it's a joke. But I'm like, there's a lot of kids right now, especially with the pandemic, who are really uncertain about their future. And I'm like, I just want to be like one of the grownups that makes you feel like, you know what? Okay. Yeah, we're figuring, we're all figuring this out together. Yes, she's a grown up, but she's got uncertainty in her life too. Mm. I think it just comes back to that word nurture again. Yeah. And nurturing to be just space to have what you might become. Yeah. Or what you will one day become, mm-hmm. which is what you're doing with mm. kids too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It feels so in keeping when I was listening to you talk a little bit earlier about just connecting with people and meaningful ways. And I think, wow, you do that. Mm. You do that in Mm -hmm. so many different ways and spaces. And thinking about your poetry, two of the predominant themes being the ideas of patience and hope. That was Mm -hmm. one of the many reasons why we were excited about being able to have you on the podcast and to talk with you. And would love to even ask you, what do both of those ideas mean to you, especially in this season we're living in? Mm. Such a good question. And yes, those are very big themes for me. Mm. A lot of what I write, I write with a particular person in mind. So a lot of the time I am writing things that were a direct response to an email or an Instagram DM that I got. I love doing that, but it's also hard because you don't always know like the right words to say to someone. I mean, especially if they're messaging me about something that is just like, I have no experience. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But one thing I found is just that waiting is a common thing. Mm. It's waiting for answers or something, whether it's a college admission or waiting for healing Mm. or waiting to have a somewhat normal day after a loved one has passed away. And that theme of waiting, I feel like, shows up in almost everything, if not everything. Somebody's always waiting for something. Mm -hmm. So that ends up being a topic that I write about a lot. And one thing that is fascinating to me is that there have been things that I wrote years ago that were about waiting someone who is waiting to, you know, meet the love of their life, that now somehow that same message applies to being in a pandemic. And that's fascinating to me because I'm like, I 
wasn't even writing for this. Like I wasn't writing for that. But I think it's kind of in the underbelly of a lot of where we are. We're all waiting for something. Mm. So I keep writing about that because <laughs> mm. I'm always waiting for something. I always have once one thing gets figured out, something else is unra- <laughs> unraveling that I'm waiting for. It's always a constant theme in my life. For my last book, All Along You Were Blooming, I wrote and did almost all of the art in that book while I was super pregnant. Mm. And it was, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm waiting for this uh little fella to come out because um, bloom into the world going to the bathroom every five minutes is <laughs> really hard to get things done so <laughs> it's just interesting like because I, I feel like in a sense like even the energy of that is like in the poetry so it's like somebody who is reading that who's waiting for something totally different they're also like oh yeah I felt that I felt that need to breathe through this and to seek peace in this. And then to answer the second part about hope, I feel like that's just one of the best things you can give someone mm. is hope. Yes. Because yeah. there's so many times like you can't give someone something tangible, especially like these days, we can't even hug like we used to. We can't gather like we used to. In those moments, it can feel like, oh, I, what do I have to give? It's like, well, you can give hope. Mm. And interesting. I feel like that kind of goes back to my childhood again. I'm just like, <laughs> I didn't, yeah. I didn't really feel like I knew if I had something to give, but somewhere along the way, I started to realize that through art, I could give hope. Mm. To me, that just feels valid and it feels important. And one word that I've been attaching a lot to the word hope lately and it's really inspired by the great Toni Morrison. Mm. She just talked a lot about hopeful imagination and just how important imagination is. And to me, I feel like imagination is kind of like hope activated in a way of just like, okay, yes, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but let's just imagine something better. Mm. Let's write a story about it. Or let's just think about like, so I guess things could go terribly wrong, but what if they actually were good? Like, what if we were actually okay? And I just love that message. I mean, that excites me. I feel like that's what keeps me coming back to we're so cheesy. We watch like all the Marvel movies like over and over all the time. I'm like, maybe that's why we watch them. Like, it's just like, maybe there could be (laughs) something we can hope for. I love imagination. and, And I've been really loving linking that concept of like hope and imagination together. I'm really interested in that. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award-winning children's Bible? Written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, the Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gominnow.com. That's shop.gominnow.com. Henry Nowen, I don't know if you have read him. Yes. One of the things he talks about is whatever is most personal is most universal, which is interesting to think about just from the context that you write from. And even hearing, Morgan, your story of so much of who you are as an artist comes from who you were 
growing up. And my guess is now it's rippling over into who you are as a parent. Mm. And so I would love if you would share a little bit of how you do carry those themes into your parenting with your son. How old is he? He's 19 months. Oh, wow. 19 (laughs) months. Yeah. Yes. It has been really surprising to me. I feel like surprise is just such a big word because Prior to giving birth, I was just sort of in this mindset of like, okay, you're, and I know he's still really young, but I was like, your child could be really different from you. Like, you don't know what this person's going to be like. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like a whole human being. And it's like, have you ever seen the Pixar movie Inside Out? That's yes. Yes. <laughs> we love it. We love it. I don't know what his little islands are. I don't know. <laughs> we could be totally different. <laughs> Little islands of personality. It's really interesting. I'll give you something very specific. When he was around six months, I'm not exaggerating, he started picking up my Apple Pencil and he can actually paint on my iPad. Wow. He can do full paintings. I don't know if that's like a six-month thing or not, but I wasn't expecting it. I was just like, I was not expecting this. Like sitting in my lap, he will pick it up and now he knows like where to charge it. And that's kind of really the only time he spends on any kind of tablet. That's what he associates tablet with. This is where I make art. Mm. Wow. Maybe tomorrow he won't even be interested anymore, but I'm really enjoying it right now. I didn't really anticipate how much joy it would bring me Mm. to see my child find joy in something that brings me joy. Mm. I didn't anticipate that because it's almost like seeing my younger self again. He's very detail oriented and with his blocks and he's like, like building. And I was like that. <laughs> and I've heard stories about like how obsessive I would get over particular things. I was just like, oh, is this what I looked like? Like, <laughs> and he looks just like me too. Mm. I wasn't expecting that. And I think for someone like me who has spent so much of my life feeling different, it's really special to have this little person who I'm just like, okay, yeah, we're different, but you're actually kind of like me, like you. (laughs) That's really special. And I I was not expecting that. So yeah, we'll see what comes of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yes. I can't wait to see his art and where it goes. I I can't wait for that either. What would you say are two or three of your guiding principles as a parent? You know, the first one that comes to mind is... Again, going back to the word nurture, that's just a really important word for me in a lot of ways. And again, I know he's still so young, but I really do try to nurture what he's interested in and what he likes to do. For instance, like small things, even walking around our neighborhood, like a lot of other neighborhoods, there's a sidewalk. Well, he doesn't like the sidewalk. He wants to walk on the rocks next to the sidewalk. (laughs) It's interesting for me, even practicing of like, okay, is it dangerous for him to walk on those rocks right there? Or is it annoying me? I think it's more annoying me sometimes. And thinking and just being aware of like, okay, just let him be right there for a second. Mm. Just let him be off the sidewalk. (laughs) Like he's not in any danger. He's nowhere near any car. I was like, I'm the one that's like, no, we must walk on this slab of concrete, not the (laughs) rock (laughs) version right there. I mean, they're like these like tiny little pebbles, but it's just like, for me, I'm just like, no, we walk on sidewalks. That's what people do walk on sidewalks. So really just nurturing like his curiosity. I think that's a big one. Mm. Mm. And then the second one is, I feel like it's kind of a big word, but just surrender. (laughs) It's just like, you have no idea. (laughs) 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 I was like, you have no idea what's ahead. Um, 
And I guess it has been tough with the fact that so much of his life has been during this pandemic. Mm. It's been really tough. There have been times where we, my husband took me to the park and he was like, we just had to go. He was like, I almost broke down in tears because they were the only ones at the park. And then these other kids showed up and then our son just ran toward them and he had to like Mm. pull them back and be like, Mm. no, you can't play. He doesn't understand that. Right. Oh, and that's just so tough because it's just like, oh my gosh, what do we do? What do we do? And Mm. Thankfully, he has. We live near my sister, who also has a 19 month old, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Same time. They're a week apart. So, thankfully, he does have a little kid in his life and they hang out a lot at my parents' house. But um, it's a lot of surrender because it's just like, I don't know when this is going to change. I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know what conversations we're going to have later on as a result of all this. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to explain this to you when you look at pictures and you're just like, why didn't I have friends? Or why are mommy and daddy wearing a mask? I'm like, I don't know how to explain that to you, but I'm going to surrender and not put pressure on myself to know that right now. So, yeah, that's been huge because I think, you know, for me and for myself, I can kind of, you know, I can kind of write it off. I'm like, okay, yes, this pandemic is huge and it's traumatic, but I'm like, I'll get through it. You know, (laughs) we'll get through it. I'll write some poems about it later. But it's hard when it's a little person because you're just like, oh, I don't Mm -hmm. know how they're going to get through it. I don't, I don't know. We've never, there's no book that I can read on how Mm -hmm. to, you know, help your child through this. And, Yeah. So as I literally take that deep breath, (laughs) as I literally exhale, it's letting go, it's surrender over and over again. And I think the final one is humility. Mm. That word's been showing up a lot for me lately (laughs) because I do tend to want to know. I know it's been talked about so much lately, but I mean, the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram five and we are known for wanting to know, needing to know, liking the answers. So yeah, this time is hard for me in a sense because I I do sometimes tend to think I can Wikipedia my way to the answer. <laughs> and sometimes that's just not possible. You get to the bottom of the page and it doesn't matter how many source links you keep clicking, you're still going to have to face the fact that tomorrow is unknown. So mm. that's what I have to tell myself a lot about parenting. Because again, mm. it's I feel like the younger my son was, the more I could Google something and get an answer of like, how many naps should he take at, you know, how many hours right. should they sleep at two months? But it's like the older they get, the harder those questions get to answer sometimes. Like there's this app called Wonder Weeks yes. and it goes through like the leaps with the child. And I actually got a little sad when I got to the last leap. I'm like, what do you mean? Because they break down. They're like, okay, here's some behavioral things that they'll be doing in this leap. Like, here's what you can look for. And I'm like, okay, I got it. Like me and my sister were going through them. And then it was like, you've reached the last leap. And it's like, good luck. Uh-oh. Happy parenting. I'm like, no, I need more leaps. Like more I need- leaps, more leaps. I was like, give me the leaps all the way to, to age 18. I need to know. But yeah, I don't have those. So it's a lot of humility of recognizing it's okay. You're going to learn as you go, like every other parent. Just like, yeah. yes, we've never been in a pandemic before, but there have been parents before who did yes. not know what they were doing. And (laughs) had to humbly learn and grow and oftentimes learn the hard way as they went. So, yeah, I would say those are Mm. my three words. 
<laughs> I love that because I think humility without surrender would feel impossible. You know, mm. it's kind of one dovetails into the next. So yeah, those mm-hmm. going together. You just give people so much permission to be themselves, to breathe, to rest, to receive grace. Mm. And as a parent, that can be the last thing you do for yourself sometimes. And so having those kind of practices, I mean, I think the words you're using are describing it. And maybe there's more of that from a big picture, or maybe there are even some practical things that you do that help you filter it down to yourself rather than just outputting it to the world and to your son. Yes, that's such a great thought and a great question. And I was actually thinking about something a little bit similar this morning because I was working on a client project. It was just like a really big project, wrapping it up. And I just started feeling guilty while working on it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, this is time where you should be spending with your child. Like, mm. you should have finished this project last night. Like, why are you why are you still working on this? Just being a little hard on myself. And now that I'm talking about it now, I'm like, it was unnecessary. Like, I was being unnecessarily hard on myself. But in the moment, it felt like I should be doing better. And when I zoom out and I look at that moment, like, I don't have like a pretty bow on it. I don't know what the grand lesson is in that. And I'm like, yes. I could have finished a project yesterday. Yes, I could have worked it out. And at the same time, I was able to do something that I am really proud of myself for. Mm. And the fact that I'm like, if 20-year-old me was in this room right now, seeing me do this work, she would actually probably start bawling her eyes out. She wouldn't believe that this was possible. It's like, yes, it's hard right now trying to be a parent in a pandemic and also work from home and also keep the house somewhat clean so we're not tripping over everything. It's like, yes, it's hard. And at the same time, it's like, wow, I get to make art on my iPad and it's actually Mm -hmm. really fun. And I'm a grown up and I get to do that as a grown up. So I have tried to become more okay with acknowledging things that I love to do and really allowing myself to enjoy them without guilt. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard because, you know, I feel like even outside of parenting, it's like people are going through some really hard things right now. And Mm -hmm. it's so hard to feel joy or to feel like you're having a good time when you know someone you love or someone in the world is struggling so much. And, and I remember years ago reading Brene Brown talk about that and this concept of joy and and just how when she talks to people who've been through really terrible things, they often say, it's those little things that I do remember and that I do love. And that was special. So it's okay to enjoy those little things because they're not always going to be here. And there is going to be a time where you look back and say, you know what, I'm I'm glad that I took those 10 minutes to go with a cup of coffee and just go stand on the front deck. It's Mm -hmm. like, yes, there are things I could have been doing that were more productive in that time. Like there was something I needed to do. And at the same time, I think I needed that moment and I allowed myself to have that moment. And I think that's important. So yeah, I'm working on practicing that right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on it. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely something I'm working on right now. (laughs) Mm What would you say is something that your son has been teaching you lately? Hmm. 
I feel like I keep circling back to the same words. <laughs> They're good words. They are. But the whole surrender and letting go thing is a big one. Just because there's a lot of him that is like me, but there's also a lot of him that is very much so like his dad, who is a very high energy person. (laughs) (laughs) There are times where I feel like I can't keep up. (laughs) Just being honest, between the two of them, I'm just like, whoa, is this going to just keep escalating as time goes on? (laughs) Like, Will anyone hear anything I say? I'm not sure. (laughs) It's fascinating, though, just to watch what he does with his energy, because I think I associate high energy with productivity, successful people. But it's interesting watching this little high energy person who I'm going to put all my energy into dumping out every single toy that I have on the floor and just that they could all be on the floor together at the same time. And then I'm going to just like stick my hands in it and just go crazy. And it's just fascinating. I'm like, Wow, the way he chooses to use his energy, (laughs) like it's so fascinating. I'm like, kids have so much of it. And then they use it on what we as grownups may see as like silly things or meaningless things. Like if we walked into a a room and saw a grownup dumping a bunch of toys on the floor and playing with them, we would say like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) But a child is like, no, that's okay. And I think that's a really important lesson for me because as somebody who does feel like, I often have lower energy. I do tend to put that pressure on myself that when I have energy, I must be productive. I must Mm. use that energy for work or something because I only have so much of it. But he's really teaching me, like, no, sometimes you can just like use your energy to just run in a straight line for no reason and and just, you know, kick through the toys and scream while you do it. It's like, why not? So yeah, that's just a way that I, it's entertaining and amusing. And, you know, Mm. there's a lesson in that too. Sounds like you do an amazing job of even kind of appreciating his sense of wonder Mm. and finding beauty in wherever he is, which is such a wonderful thing to do with him right now mm-hmm. because there's not a lot you can do sometimes yeah. <laughs> with that kind of energy but to- yeah I'm glad you said that. that that means a lot because I do feel like we've had to get really creative I mean we started out last year we were living in California now we live in Arizona and our plan was not to leave California I mean it was definitely mm-hmm. a pandemic inspired move like we had to downsize our business but we had just leased this whole fancy studio space and had to bring it all back down to the garage and all this stuff. And we had bought Disneyland passes. Mm. And we were like, we're going to take him to, to Disneyland all the time. And he's going to be one of those kids that grows up at Disneyland. And now, not wow. only have we moved out of California, but Disneyland, they just stopped the annual passes. So, yes. so it's just fascinating to me how quickly everything changed because I had this idea in my mind of like, here's the kind of childhood I I want to give my child and because I went to a theme park like three times as a kid and I was like I wanted to go 300 times so I'm gonna make sure he gets all of that so I had a moment the other day where I had the 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 cushion from the couch on my knee and Jacob my son comes up <laughs> and gets on top of the cushion now the cushion's like maybe two and a half feet Why? it's not a wide cushion and he slides down the cushion and he's like wee <laughs> <laughs> the slide is like uh, 0.2 second like the quote unquote ride that he just made is like 0.1 second and he's sitting on the rug at the bottom of the cushion saying wee, <laughs> wee. wee. I'm like oh 
for you, this is fun. I was like, you have no idea that like there are more thrills and, you know, (laughs) amusement parks and things. So yeah, that's just like a a funny thing. One day he will. (laughs) You'll get to take him one of these days. One day, (laughs) Yes. And by the way, I just am thinking as you're talking, there's a book we need to send you called Wild Things that David wrote about boys. And and I have a two-year-old nephew who I spend a lot of time with, and I had downloaded the Wonder Weeks app and loved it too. And I would say I've moved from Wonder Weeks to David's Wild Things. So we'll get you a copy of that. It'll be your new leap checker. Yes, I need the next leap. Thank you. Yes, for sure. (laughs) And we have kind of a silly question that we like to ask everyone we talk to because we are huge fans of Mexican food. And probably in Arizona, you're doing a lot better than we have some great places in Nashville more recently. But I would imagine you have some amazing spots. So if you had to say your favorite kind of taco, we always like to know. Yes. So I'm going to keep it classic. Okay. The street taco, the steak Mm. street taco, corn tortilla. All you need is the steak, onion, and cilantro. Perfection. Mm. (laughs) Yes. That sounds amazing. so good. Yes. And even in the themes of grace and patience, I think tacos help with those things too. Absolutely. All contributes. Yeah. I love that you all love Mexican food. I think we've we've eaten it two or three times this week. (laughs) Oh, yes. Love that. Well, having read so much of your poetry and hearing your heart as a person now, they just Mm. flow together in such a beautiful way. And so I would really love for you to close our time reading something. And we're getting an extra treat today because... So I am going to read something from my new book, How Far You Have Come. And I have never done that before. So this is the first place I'm doing that. (laughs) We are honored. Yes. So speaking of childhood, I grew up in Georgia and ended up moving to California and I live in Arizona, but I, I've spent time in all of the states from Georgia to California. So I have stories and different experiences all along the way that I that I share throughout the book. So I'm going to read something from Georgia, which this chapter to me is all about childhood wonder and going on an adventure with my family because it's like the beginning of the trip. So I, I felt like that would be a good section to read from. Yes. Yes. So here we go. I don't know why I'm so nervous. <laughs> I'm just like, I wrote this, but for some reason I'm so nervous about reading it. When you look at the map, and trace your finger over hundreds of routes, you will find no finish line. One path leads to another. Some dwindle to dead ends, some orderly on grids, and others twisting around the ridge. And together they create our family record, our times, our places. A story of unrushed travelers pushing forward at their own paces. Wow. That is beautiful. Stunning. A story of unrushed travelers mm. pushing forward at their own paces. Yeah. You really cannot know what a gift that was. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you all. It just feels like all of the words you talked about, grace and rhythm and what a gift you are to that son that that is, is how you see and how you then help us see. So we just are so grateful for you and your heart and your time today. Thank you for sharing with us and being a part of this time. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. 
You all asked such beautiful questions. It was wonderful to go on this journey today. And, and I'm so grateful for the work that you all do as well. Thank you very Thank much, you. Morgan. We hope to see you soon. Maybe we'll yes. get to have tacos together one day. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.